Amen. Good morning, everybody. All right, now, you are the 1030, so that means that you've got, like, extra time for coffee, a little extra sleep, so, or maybe you went on a run. I don't know what you guys have done all this morning. So, uh, good morning, Mill City. Hey, oh, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Um, my name is Aaron Stern, lead pastor here, just for sake of introduction for anybody that's brand new, and what a joy it is to gather together. Uh, as Kirk just mentioned, third Sunday of Advent, and uh, we have our Advent wreath right over here, third candle of the four candles lit, the last one lit on Christmas Eve, known as the Christ candle. If you're unfamiliar with Advent, uh, one of the ways that I like to think about it, there's lots of ways to think about it and lots of meanings for it. Um, it is not a fancy word for Christmas, like, oh, the Christmas season, it's Advent. Uh, but in fact, it is in the church calendar a season that, is the, that leads up to the season of Christmas. And, and it is a reminder of a couple of things. One, it is a reminder of the people of Israel longing for the Messiah that was promised to them and would come through their line. And so hundreds and hundreds of years of waiting and then we, and of course, the Jesus then arrives, his first arrival. And now we find ourselves having experienced and know about his first arrival and now stand in a place again of waiting and longing for his second coming, his second arrival. So Advent is a reminder for us as the people of God that we are awaiting people and it teaches us to wait well. All right, so we are in this season uh, of Advent and we are moving through a series called The Spirit of Advent. And in talking through The Spirit of Advent, we're going through Luke chapter 1. And Luke chapter 1 is filled with stories that are the prelude stories to the birth of Jesus. And so last week we talked about the angel visiting Mary to tell her that she is going to be the mom of the Messiah. Today we're going to be talking about Elizabeth and John the baptizer. And, and what we're specifically honing in on in these stories is the inclusion of and the ways that the Holy Spirit shows up in these stories. Uh, they're pretty profound stories, and obviously we can look back on history and see that this was a pretty profound event. Um, but the Holy Spirit plays a particular role in God doing what He did through these individual people and ultimately His purposes in the world. Now, as we talk about the Holy Spirit, um, I find it incredibly sad that the Holy Spirit has at times, been a point of controversy in the church. I find it sad because the Holy Spirit is supposed to be a unifying, edifying, and identifying mark for followers of Jesus. And so I don't know where you come from today and why you, uh, where, where, what kind of history or church history you've had or what that, the Holy Spirit means when you, maybe, you're, maybe your hands are sweating right now and you're like, Marge, get ready. Uh, the Holy Spirit talk, we've got to be careful, you know, I don't know what's going to happen here. Um, but I, I, my hope and my prayer is, is that we would go before the Lord with open hands and open hearts and ultimately ask God, what do you have to say and what does your scripture have to say about the Holy Spirit? So Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 15, says the angel talking to Elizabeth, uh, and he, she, he, the angel says, He, John the baptizer, her son, will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, before Jesus. He will be the forerunner to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. 
Then we have the story of Mary that we talked about last week. I want to encourage you, if you weren't here last week, to listen or watch last week's message. And then Mary, after she has this visitation from an angel, in Luke chapter 1, 39 to 41, says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. So in these two passages of Scripture relating to Elizabeth and John the Baptist, it says that John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer more accurately, uh, was the one, he says, John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer, will be filled with the Holy Spirit even in your womb. And you, Elizabeth, she says, experiences the filling of the Holy Spirit. So I want us to talk a little bit today about being filled with the Spirit. Now, we referenced this last week that, that in the Old Testament, uh, the Holy Spirit kind of would take, uh, would, would show up at unique times, would rest on or fill particular people for particular purposes. But it was not on all people, and it was not the majority of people. It was very few, actually, in relationship to the number of people in the Old Testament. But the Holy Spirit rested on Joseph, and rested on David, and Moses, and others. Joseph, uh, to interpret dreams, particular purpose, particular time. And then there's a prophecy in Acts chapter, excuse me, Joel chapter 2, where it says that, that the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all flesh. It will not just be limited to a few here and there, but it will in fact be available to and poured out for every single person who is a follower of Jesus. And then in Acts chapter 2, we see at Joel 2 come to fruition, where it isn't just for a few, but it in fact becomes for all. Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit coming and what this is going to look like and why and what the Holy Spirit does for each follower of Jesus. He talks about this in John chapter 14. And in John chapter 14, he actually says something really profound that sometimes maybe if you're familiar with the Bible, you might just kind of breeze past and then like, oh yeah, whatever. But, but I, I hope in all of this that we would have fresh eyes. Jesus says this to his disciples, whom he had walked with now for a couple of years. He says, you know, I'm going to be leaving you talking about his ascension into heaven after his resurrection. He says, but it's going to be better that I leave. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm, I'm the disciples. I'm thinking, uh, what can be better than us just hanging out with and walking alongside Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God? And Jesus says, oh, walking with me is really awesome, but you know what's better than that? Me in you. So he is saying, not just for you, his disciples, but for all of his followers and disciples, you won't just walk with and him next to, but actually him in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he then talks about how he is going to be the Holy Spirit, an advocate. He's going to be a helper. He's going to be a teacher. He's going to remind people of what Jesus said, convict people of sin, counselor, guide. Why? One of the reasons is for inward transformation. The Holy Spirit is the one who does inward transformation to make us more like Jesus. And then the Apostle Paul carries that on. Carries that on in the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians was written uh, decades later after, after the experience in Acts. And we have this little church in Ephesus. And he says to them through a letter, Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. 
Now, I'm kind of a grammar nerd, as some of you might know. So I have favorite punctuation and I have least favorite punctuation, like the exclamation point. Um, actually, I don't dislike it. I just think it gets overused. Uh, but I have favorite prepositions for particular reasons. And anyway, uh, I also in here, you're like, wow, this is, you're weird. Okay, so, <laughs> but this be filled is actually in a particular tense. It's the present progressive tense which means that this is something that has happened and is happening. Meaning that this isn't a be filled once. This is an ongoingly be filled. So a better way or more accurate way to say this is instead be filled ongoingly to overflowing with the Spirit. Not just once, but all the time. Filled with the Spirit. What is he indicating here? We are people of the Spirit. Therefore, we want to be people animated by and filled with the Spirit. To go back to Acts chapter 2, we have what Jesus says, and we know that the Holy Spirit was present in us for the purpose of inward transformation, but he gives us a hint to something else that the Holy Spirit does in us and why we are filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 4 says, On one occasion while he was eating with them, this is talking about Jesus, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, says, but Jerusalem, Jesus says, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about, John 14. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit, fully immersed in and fully filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus gives what is commonly known as the Great Commission. The Great Commission is the go Go in all the world. Go from Jerusalem. Go to Judea. Go to the uttermost bounds of the earth. Go to Samaria. Go to the places where you wouldn't normally go. The gospel goes everywhere. The message of Jesus goes everywhere. So he gives this big go, but then says, but don't go. Go, but don't go quite yet. I actually need you to wait. So go, but, but wait a minute. Which seems a little like, what, am I supposed to go or am I supposed to wait? Am I... And he says, wait here. Here's your commission. Want you to go, but you can't quite go yet. Because why? Because you're going to need more than your own strength, your own energy, your own intelligence, your own efforts, your own strategy in order to do what I'm calling you to do. In order to fulfill and do the great commission, the go into all the world, the go part, you're going to need somebody to help you do it. And it's the Holy Spirit. Because the reality is, is when God gives us something to do, He's not asking us to do it on our own strength. He actually gives us something to do that's going to require the person and the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in us in order for it to do what God designed it to do which is a pretty amazing thing because if you ever find yourself in a place where you feel like, wow, God is calling me to do something. I don't know, this feels a little scary. But if God is leading you towards something, that he will give you the power and the ability to do it. 
He will give you the strength. He will give you the wisdom. He will give you the gifts to do it. Which means that the Spirit, this is true in the Old Testament, this is true with Elizabeth, this is true with John the Baptizer, this is true with Jesus, this is true with each one of us. The Spirit is connected to purpose. The Spirit of God is connected to purpose. The Spirit fills for inward and outward purpose. Inward transformation and outward mission. Needs the power of the Holy Spirit in order for that to happen. He didn't say, wait here so that you can experience goosebumps. He doesn't say, wait here so I can send you the Holy Spirit so you can just have an emotional time. No, I need you to wait for the Holy Spirit so the Holy Spirit can do what? Help you to be a bold and courageous and clear witness. A witness is one who tells and talks about what they have seen. Now, one of the reasons that I think sometimes the Holy Spirit, or maybe the talks around the Holy Spirit, or the way that people interact with the Holy Spirit, gets a little squirrely, is because people start to focus on the Holy Spirit, specifically on the Holy Spirit. But it's like a light. You walk into a dark room, and in order to see what's going on in the room, you turn on the light. You don't turn on the light and go, Wow, look at that light. Just love that light. Look how it is like illuminating. It was once off and now it is on. Look at that light. That is so awesome. And now my retinas are burning. This is so amazing. Look at the light. No, you don't even look at the light. You look at what the light illuminates. And the Holy Spirit is the same way. He's kind of like, don't look at me. I'm here to illuminate and lead people to Jesus. I'm here not just to give you emotional an emotional experience, not just for you to feel like goosebumps, which may or may not be associated with the activity of the Holy Spirit. Energy, volume, emotionalism is not specifically the evidence of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit activity is evidenced by people being transformed into and pointed towards Jesus. And what happens in Acts chapter 2 after they have this pretty powerful experience where they have tongues of, tongues of fire? Sometimes it's a fantastical, sometimes it's like, whoa, kind of moments. Goosebumpy moments, uh, whatever. Wow, that was not what I was expecting. That was supernatural. Tongues of fire over their heads. They ended up speaking in other languages. Pretty profound ha- things happened. You know what they didn't do in that? Hey, let's get the fire and thing to go happen again. What happens right after that? Thousands of people come to faith in Jesus. That day, the following days, and 3,000 and 5,000, the power of the Holy Spirit made it so that they were participating in and able to do what they were not able to do. Think of Peter. Peter, pre-crucifixion, denies Jesus, is fearful, so fearful and insecure that he's like, well, I blew it. I'm going to go fishing. I guess I'm done. Jesus visits him after his resurrection. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Yes, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. Who is one of the leaders in the first century church that is saying, Jesus is alive, Peter? The Holy Spirit does what? Transformation from fear to courage. To say, wow, look at this, Holy Spirit, look at the light bulb. No, no, no. Hey, look at what the light bulb in me illuminates. It's Jesus. Became a witness. 
which if I can just give you a little, maybe helpful barrier, grid for Holy Spirit activity. You ever wonder sometimes, is that Holy Spirit activity? Is the Holy Spirit really in that? Any claim about the Spirit can be tested by how Jesus-centered it is. Does that lead or point people towards, illuminate Jesus? Is that transforming me or someone else into more into the likeness of Jesus? If the answers to that are an easy no, then chances are it's not the Spirit of God. I love what Corey ten Boom says. Corey ten Boom was a, um, a hid Jews during the Holocaust. She herself ended up going to a concentration camp, did not die there, and ended up being released, but uh, afterwards wrote books and spoke and really talked about the power of, and the, the, of God, of grace and forgiveness. And she said this, trying to do the Lord's work in your own strength is the most confusing, exhausting, and tedious of all work. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, then the ministry of Jesus just flows out of you. I don't know about you, but that's how I want my life to be. And can I just say that this isn't limited to preaching a sermon on a Sunday or Callie and the team leading worship. This is like Monday afternoon activity. This is Thursday morning activity. This is like just going through your day, listening to and prompted by and engaged with the Holy Spirit. It can sometimes look fantastical like tongues of fire, and it can also look like having the right words in the right moment, as it says in the book of Acts. If you don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. It might not be like a screen out in front of you and this is what you're supposed to say. But it might just be a, I think I just said something that was like right on. I don't know where that came from. I guess that was the Holy Spirit. No goosebumps, no emotionalism, just in step with the Spirit of God. In the Old Testament, there's a story in Ezekiel chapter 37. If you've never read it before, you should totally read it because it's wild and awesome. Uh, And there is this vision that the prophet Ezekiel has of this valley of dry bones. All these bones just sitting in this valley. Now, it's a vision, ultimately, of Israel and it it not being dead. And God has power and purpose still to work through it. And he says, but why want you to see these dry bones? They're going to come back to life. Now, he didn't say, so I want you to walk into the valley and I want you to tape the bones together and, like, prop them up and get some skeletons. Sometimes I think that's how we go through our lives. Oh, I can do that. And, And we can do some. We can do some things, some strategies, some things that we put together, and we tape the bones together, and we prop them up, and we're like, hey, look at a skeleton. Or we can say, all right, God, I'll do my part. I don't know what that looks like, but I'm going to partner with you. And what, what would you rather have, a taped together skeleton or a spirit-breathed skeleton that in this particular story, in a in Ezekiel 37, it says the bones came together and there's clicking and clacking and then there was tendons and muscles that came around and skin. And before you know it, there was the Spirit of God breathing into these skeletons. They weren't just skeletons taped together. They were, they were human. There was a, a lot, living, breathing, Spirit-animated army. And that's what he's hoping for for us. Now, I don't know what kind of history you have, church history, maybe you're like, oh, I've never heard much about the Holy Spirit before, this is so helpful. 
Maybe, maybe you have, uh, maybe, but maybe for some of you, you've experienced people talk about the Holy Spirit or being filled with the Holy Spirit, and somehow it's, it's like this better than or other than kind of language, that somehow you, you feel like there's an element of superiority or better than, which of course is not the heart of the Holy Spirit, is not the heart of God regarding the Holy Spirit in His people. What I have found is that being Spirit-filled is not about me being better than you. It's about me being better than me. It's about me becoming, by the power of the Holy Spirit, who God has designed me to be that I can't do on my own. And me being better, participating in the purposes of God. It's not about one better than the other. It's about each one of us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, being better than what we can be on our own. But I found that many people believe in the Holy Spirit like they believe in Switzerland. It's like Holy Spirit Switzerland. You know, present but uninvolved. Oh, we're just over here. We don't do anything. You know, stay, stay, you know, detached. We're neutral on the subject. But I have found that the power of the Spirit is experienced in proportion to the yielding and hunger for the Spirit. Meaning this, that, that if you're like, uh, I don't think so. You know, I just feel, so Holy Spirit, you just stay at arm's length. The Holy Spirit is a gentleman. And the Holy Spirit will say, okay. And I have found for the people who say, oh, come Holy Spirit. I, I am hungry for the Holy Spirit to be active in my life. And I want to walk in this power of the Spirit. And I want to walk in the purposes of the Spirit. And uh, I, I'm earnestly desiring the gifts of the Spirit. And it doesn't mean then that we don't get it wrong. Sometimes we get it wrong. But I have found that the Holy Spirit's like, okay. And so our experience of the activity of the Holy Spirit is directly proportional to our yielding to and hunger for the Holy Spirit. Billy Graham said it this way, everywhere I go, I find that God's people lack something. He's talking about followers of Jesus. They are hungry for something. Their Christian experience is not all that they expected. The desperate need of the nation today is that men and women who profess Jesus be filled with the Spirit. One of the values of our church is to be desperately dependent on the Holy Spirit. Because we want to be people that aren't just doing things out of our own energy and strength. And so one of the ways that we step into that is believing that we need to, and by praying first, we, we step into a situation, we pray first. We, as a staff, we start our, our meetings with a, a, with a time of prayer. We, we step in individually, together. We step into these places and say, God, I need you. Because, because if we start with prayer, we're saying, I need some help here. That's why we start off each year, and we'll start off here in just a few weeks in January 2022. We'll start off with 21 days of prayer and fasting. We've done it every year of our church. Why? To say that we start off this year not saying, I got this and I'll call on you when I need you. No, no, no. I start off this year knowing I need you and I am going to partner with you and I want the Holy Spirit to be alive and active in my first 21 days and into the rest of the year. I'm not going to wait till I'm at my end of my rope and make prayer and the partnership with the Holy Spirit my last resort. It is my first response. When Jossie and I 
felt the leading of the Spirit to move from Colorado Springs just a little over 10 years ago to, to plant Mill City Church. It was a, a process of discerning the leading of God in our lives. And we made the decision, said yes, moved here. And for that first year, I experienced some significant bouts with anxiety. Couldn't sleep. And it was a really rough year. And there was a, a few times throughout that, that year that I thought, I don't want to do this. I don't like feeling like this, this anxiety, this cloud, it's awful. And I remember one time, you know, in my best whiny voice, God, I want to go home. Like, I don't want to do this. I don't like this. This is not fun. But then I had a little come to Jesus meeting with Jesus. And, and I said, you know, actually, let me back up on that. I don't want to do this if this is just playing church. But I'll go through this and anything else, any other spiritual warfare, any other dynamics, any other difficulty, if I can someday step back and say, wow, look what God did. Look what God did. And can I tell you that it feels like every week, but certainly some significant moments throughout our almost now 10-year history to say, wow, look what God did. To not say, well, this is the church that I built or we built or anything, but this is the church that by, in partnership with and by the power of the Holy Spirit is a, is a spirit-animated church full of the life of God. I love what British theologian, author, and Church of England bishop Graham Tomlin says. He says, a, a church that regularly invokes the Spirit through prayer, through the prayer, come Holy Spirit invites the Spirit to create a new awareness of the love of God and also a new awareness of the pain of the world and the sufferings of Christ for the world. I encouraged this last week. I going to continue to encourage it again today, and that is that every morning through Advent, would you just wake up and say and pray, come Holy Spirit, as a way of saying, I'm going to pray first. It's going to be my first things out of my mouth. Come, Holy Spirit. I need you today. Don't want to, I can't, I don't want to do this on my own today. Come, Holy Spirit. And as we engage with the power and the work and the person of the Holy Spirit, to be able to look back on our lives and say, wow, look what God did. When I, I grew up in Colorado Springs and I was in a youth group of a couple of hundred students. And, and in Colorado Springs in the time, and this has been in the 80s and the early 90s, there was uh, known to be a, a lot of witchcraft activity and witch covens and some things on the western side of Colorado Springs up into the foothills. And, and, and I remember one time that a teenager that had been a part of one of those witch covens and some of those gatherings uh, put her faith and trust in Jesus. And she started coming to our youth ministry, our student program. And I was probably 16 at the time, and I remember a couple of us got to meet with her, and, and it was kind of like, tell us what's going on in the dark side. <laughs> we just wanted to find out a little bit of like, what's the thoughts here? What's happening? And, one, and so we were talking for a little while, and at one point somebody asked, what do you think of the church? What are the thoughts on the church? And she responded with a little bit of a, an initial kind of chuckle, and she said, oh, in general... We thought that the 
the church was a joke. She said, except for the churches that embraced the activity and the power of the Holy Spirit. Those churches we were deathly afraid of. Walking in the reality, not of like a light bulb staring church, but a Jesus loving, Jesus transforming, Jesus moving forward, inward and outward purpose and transformation. Church, those were the ones that we were afraid of. So we, friends, are filled with the Spirit for inward growth and outward mission. So my question for each one of us, can we not be Holy Spirit Switzerland's, but instead can we contend for the work of the Spirit in our own lives and in our church, in our city, in our region? May we contend not for fuzzy feelings, but inward and outward renewal. For God to do what only He can do, orchestrate His purposes and plans in our lives and through our lives. His purposes and plans for our lives is to become more like Jesus. Through our lives is to see heaven come to earth. And so for us, for northern Colorado to look more like heaven. You might say, Aaron, I don't know. It doesn't seem very clear cut. I'm kind of a planner. I like to know exactly how things work. I'm, you know, I like knowing exactly how it works. It, it seems a little risky. It doesn't seem very safe. <laughs> Reminds me of the of the the little scene in The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in the series The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. And the reality is, is that's a good thought and true. Safe, risky. In this particular scene, maybe if you're unfamiliar with it, the, there's these children that are new to this new land called Narnia. And as they're exploring this new land called Narnia, they end up meeting some beavers. And so they're talking to beavers. Now, at this point, if you don't unfamiliar with the story, you may be like, okay, you lost me at talking to beavers. But, but they're finding out about this guy named Aslan, and they, they, they realize that Aslan's a lion. And Susan, one of the kids, says, oh, I thought Aslan was a man. And she says, is he safe? <laughs> like a lion, that, that, that changes the game for me. She says, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion. Now, Aslan was the Christ character in the story. <laughs> safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's good. And that's the reality of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's the reality of the presence of God in our lives. He's good. Safe? Can't promise that. Good? Can promise that. He will work in and through us for our good and God's glory. And so my prayer is that we would be like David. In Psalm chapter 51, he's going before God after he has had an affair with Bathsheba and had her husband killed to try and cover it up. And he's found out and he comes before God in confession. And in Psalm 51, he makes this really profound statement. He says, to God, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. And I wonder if David, now he was one of the, the few in the Old Testament that had the Holy Spirit resting on him. I wonder if he was thinking, I know what my life would look like without the Holy Spirit. No dead bears and lions, no dead Goliath. I don't know what my life would look like. I, the leadership, the, the ways in which God was doing things in and through his life. 
I don't want that to stop. My question for each one of us to hold in this moment to carry forward is, would my life look any different without the Holy Spirit? What would my life look like? What would your life look like if it weren't for the Holy Spirit? Would it look any different? For some of us, maybe you would answer, yeah, it would look dramatically different. For some of you, it might, you might say, I, I don't think it looks much different. Wherever you find yourself, my prayer is that each one of us would lean in. Lean in, maybe in a new way. Come, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we need you. So as we, I wanna, as we land this message here today, I, I want to ask each one of us to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us. See, because we don't want to just end this message, nor any message for that matter, with a, what did I learn? We actually want to go a step beyond that and say, what am I going to do with what I just learned or what I just heard? What am I going to do? Maybe it's just to start being more consistent. Come, Holy Spirit. I'm just going to lean in. I need to study the Scripture more about the Holy Spirit. But I, I'm going to step in. I'm going to lean in. For some of you here today, maybe your next step, your next step is to put your faith and your trust in Jesus. To realize my ultimate hope comes from Jesus and I need Him. I, I'm tired of living my life on my own and just being able to step back and say, look what I did. It doesn't mean that we become lazy as we are followers of Jesus. We then we just partner with someone who can do more than we can do on our own. If that's you here today and you're like, yeah, I, maybe you've, you might be feeling a, 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 a tug on your heart, which would be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit saying to you, it's an invitation, an invitation to like, this is the day. This is your day. Put your faith and your trust in Jesus. If that's you, Maybe it's for the very first time today. Maybe it's for the first time in a long time. You find yourself in church. You haven't been in church in a long time. You've been like, I've been walking away, but I need to walk towards. And I see just the, I, I, I see Jesus as the one and true God, the one whom I can put my faith and my trust in. That's the Holy Spirit inviting and illuminating. So if that's you, would you cross the line of faith this morning by saying, under your breath, sincerity in your heart, God, I surrender my life. I give you my life. I give you my life. And really, it's not the only thing that we should say to God. It's the beginning of many of the things that we should say to God. But it's also the, if we give him our life today, we spend the rest of our lives not trying to take it back. Staying surrendered. Saying, my life is yours. So I want to take a moment and pray for each one of us and the step we might have. God, we need you. We open our hearts, we open our lives, and we say, come Holy Spirit. Help us if we've kept you at arm's length to open you with arms and heart wide open. Holy Spirit, we need you for transformation inwardly to remind us of the words of Jesus, to help us become more like him to be empowered to do what you've called us to do, to go, be a witness, let our lives be and speak out about what it looks like to, to have been impacted by the hope of Jesus. 
Would you help us to live out inward and outward mission and renewal in our own lives and in the lives of others? And we pray by the power of the Holy Spirit that just as the early church saw thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus, God, we pray that there would be hundreds, thousands of people that would put their faith in Jesus as a result of the bright, shining light in each one of us, fueled by the Holy Spirit. Fill us today. Fill us to overflowing, ongoingly. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen.